Hey guys, welcome from Forward. This is episode eight with Rabbi Koskas. We did a Tisha B'Av special where we went into things to focus on on Tisha B'Av. And the first 30 minutes of this podcast, just so everyone should know, is more of the background, the life story of Rabbi Koskas. And then the last 25 minutes, 20, 25 minutes or so, is more of a sheer, more of a schmooze. And hope you guys enjoy. And thank you so much for listening. Alrighty, guys, welcome to Episode eight here on From Forward. We have on Rabbi, ya- Rabbi I was going to say Rabbi Yaakov Shweki. <laughs> so let's actually start it like that. We have Rabbi Koskas here, um, the Rabbi of Magin David. And a lot of people see you look like uh, Shweki. What do you have to say about that? Um, that's interesting. So <clears throat> if, if first of all, I know Yaakov very well, we're good friends. Uh, he comes to my show a lot. And um, many people say that. Uh, it took me a long time to see the resemblance. However, he always copies my my glasses. So uh, I, I saw him recently in Deal, and I'm like, are you going to copy those also? Like, they're all blue now. Um, so let's see what happens if he copies my glasses again. Um, he's a nice guy. We look alike. I don't know. When, we put, when we're together, we don't look alike. Uh-huh. When we're separated, we do look alike. But there's a funny story that happened, actually. <clears throat> About two, three years ago, it was Sukkot time in my shul. And there's a kid, must have been seven years old. He comes to me, he grabs me, he, he, like, he hugs me, but from his waist, like from, from my waist, it was very short. And he says, Yaakov, you sing better than Mordechai. I'm like, what the heck is this kid talking about? I have, you know, Yaakov Shweke, you sing better than Mordechai Shapiro. He was hugging me, you sing so much better than Mordechai. I'm like, I had enough because many times do, people do, you know, stop me, Yaakov, Yaakov, and I'm not Yaakov, you know. I said, you know what? I'm going to play. I'm going to play along. For the next two days, every time I saw him, I said, thank you so much for saying that. I really, I, I do sing better than, than what they had. The kid, for some reason, he didn't pick up that I'm the one speaking from the podium. Like, I'm not Yaakov if I'm giving the speech, you know. Yeah. I don't know. This kid didn't pick it up for some reason, but like after two, three days, I couldn't tell anyone. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I came with candies. I'm like, I'm so sorry to break your spirits, but I'm not Yaakov. I'm Rabbi Koskas. And the kid looked at me like he was so upset. So it helps me, you know. People like me for that, I guess. <laughs> That's really funny. All right, so let's go, let's go into, into your background. Like, you know, where you're from, how you ended up in Miami. Um, <coughs> little, little history. So, okay, let's go from the beginning. I was born in France, in Versailles, actually. Um... Beautiful place, a small Jewish community, but Versailles has a, a lot of history for the Jews. Um, but I grew up in Paris mainly. Um, you know, at the age of 17, uh, I was attacked with a friend of mine. We were playing tennis, actually. And uh, two Arabs came down from, I don't know what building, they were screaming at us, and then they started coming down with knives, big knives. And um, you know, at this point, I, I said to my friend, you know, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm not going to stay here anymore. Um, after that, I went to Yeshiva. I went to Gates at Yeshiva in England for two years. The reason I went there, honestly, was because <clears throat> I wanted to learn English. That, that was the, that's the reason why I went there. Because honestly, I don't come from a family that, you know, they would p- push me to be a rabbi or whatever. That was not the plan at all. I'm a very scientific family, and <clears throat> I love science and medicine. So I was going to go into medical school. And uh, actually, I was already registered. We paid registration for that. My father told me, because I finished high school a year early, and he said, look, I, I didn't have a chance to go to yeshiva. Maybe you should, you should try it out. I said, okay, I'll go for a year. And, but if I go already, you know what? I, I don't mind learning Torah and also learning another, another language. Eng- English seems uh, yeah. important. So I said, I'm going to go to England. And um, so I, um, I, I went to Gateshead Yeshiva. And were, were you, before you went to Gateshead, were you religious or you were just like... So, uh, yeah. No, no. I, I, was, I was... Look, my parents were not when, when, before I was born. As soon as I was born, they, they were religious, Shomer, uh, you know, Shomer Shabbat, Kashrut, everything. So I grew up in a, in a religious environment. I had moments that I had questions, a lot of questions. And like many teenagers, um, people are afraid of the questions and instead of, of saying, you know, I don't know the, the answer to your question, they just tell you that you're not allowed to ask those questions. And that's something that bothered me a lot, 
a lot. But instead of being rebellious and, you know, I'm going off the derech, like a lot of kids do, etc. Instead of doing that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make my own path. You know, my own relationship with God. Nobody's going to tell me how to do it. So I didn't, I didn't downgrade that connection. I actually strengthened my connection in a way of, I, I'm going to have my own path. This person is not going to tell me how to be religious, and this person is not going to tell me how to be religious. Religion is between God and me. So you know, I had my ups and downs in my searching for my connection, but I never, like, I was, I was always from a Shabbat, or I never broke kashrut, a thing like this. You know, I've done a couple of things, but I'm saying uh-huh. not, nothing, nothing crazy, but th- these were always, uh, you know, uh, hallmarks of, of uh, my upbringing and... and uh, so, but uh, but that gave me a lot of sensitivity towards people who have questions, uh-huh. and that's why in my speeches I always bring uh, tough questions. You know, very hard subjects that I've had people walk out. <laughs> you know? Oh wow! Yeah, I, recently I was with someone in Deal, and he said, "Baba, you almost lost me because you know it, it was like two, three weeks into you spent the winter with us, an amazing guy, and and he said I was like three weeks in, I was listening to your speech, and I was like." I, I can't handle it. I, I just can't. It's too provocative. The questions are too strong. I'm like, but you know, it's 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 so important really to do that because a lot of people are, have questions. They're afraid of asking these questions mm-hmm. because there's a prototype that you could ask this, but you can't ask that. The system is so strict and rigid that even thinking is. And you know what? It's not. It's not good because at the end of the day, if you have questions, that means that your connection with Hashem is alive. Uh-huh. It's something that. It's like in a relationship. You have ups and downs. You have, you have questions. You have answers. You have moments that you feel good, moments that you don't feel good. We're not machines. We, we're not. So if we ask to be machines in our relationship with God, that's a dead relationship. A life relationship, you have ups and downs. You have moments that you feel good about it. You have good moods, bad moods, good humor, bad humor. Uh, all these things should be alive in your relationship with Hashem. And those come sometimes with tough questions. It's something you don't understand. You should be courageous enough to have, you know, the guts to ask the question. Mm-hmm. So I open the door when I when I when I give those speeches. I open the door for the people. And you should know how many people came to me and said, I feel more comfortable asking certain questions. I said, Go ahead, shoot, you know, bring your questions. And if I don't know, I'll be the first one to say, I don't know. This is an incredible question. If it's not a good question, I'll tell you to face also. This is a terrible question. <laughs> but, but at least, you know, I think it opened the, and this guy actually he he you know, he learned how to appreciate this. He told me after six months of spending time with us here during, during the whole winter, he was so happy. It was like really, you know, it was, uh, you know, a great experience. So it's that. So I grew up with those questions. And and um, I always, I was also, when I was in shul, I was always like looking at the rabbis. And, and many speeches were really boring when I was growing up, you know. Maybe it was just where I grew up. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to say names, of course. And I, I always said, if I ever end up on that stage, on that podium, I almost like made a nether to myself. Like, I, like if I ever get to a point that it becomes boring for the audience, I'll step down. That's probably the end of my career. I didn't know back then I was going to be a rabbi. If I ever end up on the podium, I got to be... It has to be interesting and relevant and fresh and of the moment because if people can't relate to what you're saying and it gets boring, then that's the end of it. The uh-huh. Torah has to be exciting, you know, relevant for the people. If they're not interested, then that's it. You know, vacate and leave the space for someone else. Yeah, it is an issue in high school because I remember certain, certain like kids or even I would have questions of, of certain things. Like, I don't know if you like a lack of emunah, but you would have certain questions about, about God and you were scared. Like you're saying to ask because they're going to think you're a kofer or something right. like that. Let's say, like, you know, a kid, he grows up, he's a religious, he's going through the movement. He's going through, you know, the movements every day, chakras, whatever. And they're just, you know, they don't really think about it. In high school, you know, the brain starts kicking in, the heart starts kicking in more. And they're like, some kids are, not that they have doubts, but they're like, they have certain questions. Of course. And it's, they're scared to ask because then the Rebbe is going to label them or then, like you said, there's, uh, there's questions that like almost like you can't ask. Right. You want to hear a funny story? I have a very funny story. Go ahead. This is like how God is, is, has such a sense of humor. It's unbelievable. So this is like years later. I'm skipping all the details, but I'm married. I'm already in Colel in Mexico City. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm teaching a group every night. This is a group of Balibatim like, who are far. They're not like, very religious, and they're the smart guys. 
and they have questions. And we're learning Rambam at the beginning of Ilkhot Yisodei HaTorah, where Rambam says that God doesn't have simcha and atzvut, there's no happiness and, 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 and sadness, and there's no standing and sitting, and there's no, all these things that are very human-like, God is not bound by them, etc. So I'm, I'm like, I know, I was preparing the class, and I'm like, I know someone is going to ask me, if there's no today and there's no tomorrow, God is above time. It was like before Rosh Hashanah. Somebody's going to ask me, is Rosh Hashanah real? Like, is it really happening? And if I'm going to say, what are you talking about? Of course it's going to happen. What do you mean? Rosh Hashanah is Rosh Hashanah. It's the beginning of the year. He said, yeah, for you, but not for him. Because he's above time. So for him, the day before Rosh Hashanah, the day of Rosh Hashanah, the day after Rosh Hashanah, it's all the same. Like, so I had the questions, but was, I had the question, but it was more like, I was like anticipating, somebody's going to ask me the question. And I'm not going to have an answer. I don't mind, again, being honest and saying, I don't know the answer, but you know what? I may as well ask two people who are great. So there was a big Rosh Hashiva from Israel who happened to be in Mexico City. Mexico City is a wealthy community, so a lot of rabbis come from all over the world. There was this big Rosh Hashiva, I'm not going to say the name. He was in, uh, in Mexico City collecting for this etc. I'm like, perfect, this guy is a major time. I'm going to go ask him. So I, I go to meet him. It was, it was after Tefillah, it was in a certain kolel. And I, I go there, and I'm like, Rabbi, I, I want to ask you a question in Hebrew. You know, I talked to him in Hebrew, and I'm, like, I'm going to ask you a question. And I, I, I knew that it was it's like, it's a strong question. Nothing wrong with the question, but it's a very strong question. Yeah. And, and I'm like, before I ask the question, I'm just telling him, like, I don't have problems of emunah, just to be clear. At this point, you know, I'm, I think I was 25, 26 years old. I'm teaching in Kolel. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm there. But before I, 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 I asked him the question, just to make him comfortable, I'm not, I don't have questions of Imuna. I just, I know somebody is going to ask me that, and I'm teaching this material, and I need to know the answer. Would you please help me with that? So I tell him the question. He literally slapped me in front of everyone. Slapped me, like this. Meanwhile, I'm not this rebellious teenager. I'm an Avrech Kolel, learning years already, and after Lakewood, I'm in, in Mexico City. I, I was very confused. I left, was very, very uh, disappointed. You asked him the question? He slapped just, me. Just so slapped we don't you. ask these questions. Tach, he slapped me over the face. Okay, I found the answer through another venue with another rabbi, actually from Mexico, very nice. He, he, he told me, you know, you should read Nefesh Haim Shar Gimel. It's really going to enlighten you. Until today, I learned Nefesh Haim with passion because it's really incredible how he talks about everything and he answers all these questions. But at this point, this is where it gets funny. About four years ago, now, I mean, like, on the other side, I'm like the rabbi of here, and this is also, like, a, you know, a rich community. So people come from over the world. Rabbi Koskas, can I talk to you? Can I talk to you? Can I talk to you? Oh, yeah, sure, of course. So I sit down with this rabbi. What's your name? He gives me the name. I'm the son of the Rosh Shiva of blah, blah, blah. And he tells me, I'm like, oh! I'm like, I know your dad. So how do you know my dad? You learned in this yeshiva? No, I never learned in this yeshiva. And I tell him the story. He was like, Shocked, said my father just that's not his style. It became kind of a big thing. He called his father, yes, his father. His father said, I don't remember a thing, but I want to meet him. So now I have a pending meeting with that rabbi. We're talking about like 25 years going back like this. It's oh, it's pending now. It's pending, it's pending. I don't think I want to go and meet him because whatever, it's it's childish, but it was so funny, like the way it happened. That's a nice It's story. just you know, one day you're here, one day you're there, you know, Hashem. Uh, Makes the world a very interesting place. So, so I just want to backtrack for a second because you said you were you were in Paris and then you went to Gateshead. Gateshead Yeshiva. So how did you end up in Mexico? Then you mentioned Lakewood. We have to just backtrack. The real question is how did I end up in Gateshead Yeshiva? <laughs> that is the real question. Like, yeah, you're going a little too fast. Because Gateshead Yeshiva is like, it's a bonker Yeshiva. Like, to get in there is, is very, very difficult. You know, like all the top Yeshivas, this is like one of the top Yeshivas in the world. In Europe, it's the number one Yeshiva. So, uh, you know, I wanted to really, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the best. And, and I, I was shooting for the highest. And it's a miracle how I got in. I got in, I tell you quickly, it's worth, uh, when God wants something to happen, it happens. Regardless of anything, it happens. This is a big chizuk. I was in this school, just high school, you know, going through 12, 12th grade in, in, in France. The school is called Mercada Torah. The, the, but that school also had a yeshiva, like for guys who really wanted to learn in yeshiva like full-time. And the big Rosh Yeshiva above the whole Mossad was Rabbi Yaakov Toledano, Arab Hashanah, passed away. Rabbi Yaakov Toledano was a major Tamil Chacham, 
But he didn't take care of the school. He took care of the yeshiva. And he was above everything, but he didn't really take care of the school. Anyways, to make a long story short, I needed a letter of recommendation. So I went to ask him. I said, he studied in Gateshead himself years before. And uh, he, he was good friends with all the Rosh Hashivas in Gateshead. So if, if, he, if he wrote a letter, I'm in. You know, that was... Uh, everybody told me, you're wasting your time. He's not going to write you a letter. He doesn't write letters to anyone. But okay, I said, hey, I'm going to ask him a letter. So I go to ask him a letter. He said... He starts laughing. He says, I'm sorry, but I don't write letters of recommendation. So how am I going to get it? Ah, good luck. Oh, my God. I'm on my own on this. <laughs> how am I going to get it? This is like, it's so hard. I'm a 17-year-old French guy. I barely know how to learn Gemara. I'm going to go into Gateshead. It makes no sense. <clears throat> I go to my Magid Shiur. So the, the rabbi was teaching me in, 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 the, in that uh, class, in my class. He was the cousin of that rabbi. His name was Ravitz Toledano. I said, can you at least help me? He said, look, I'll help you. But I'm saying, my word is worth, uh, is worth nothing. Like, I'm, I never learned there. And it's not that, I said, yeah, but you know what? You, you're magnitude in this issue. Maybe it's going to help. He says, fine, sure, I'll write the letter. So he writes a letter. I, I pull out the application, print it, write by hand back then, you know, by hand, and mail it to the yeshiva. Sure enough, about a month later, I get a letter from the yeshiva Dear Gabriel Koskas, you have been accepted in the yeshiva, blah, blah, blah. But still, before you come, we're going to give you a bechina, you know, you're going to pass the test, whatever. But uh, okay. Bekisur, I'm in. Like, yeah, it worked. It's unbelievable. Never spoke about it anymore. But two years in, I'm engaged at the issue already. I'm, Was I'm, it a hard adjustment? Yeah, super hard. Oh, big, very hard. First of all, the language. I, how long, I, how long I did didn't it take know you to pick a word up? of English. Like, I didn't. There was a couple of French guys that said, just learn with us. And I'm like, if I'm going to learn with you, I'm staying home. Like, I don't have to go to Gates. I want to learn with the English guys. I'm going to learn English, you know. That was kind of my goal. I met Ramatitiau Solomon there, Ravavrom Gurvich. Really, Gidolet Torah that I met was incredible. It, was, it took time, of course, to get used to it. That was, I could be here forever talking about this. It was just, uh, you know, the key points. It was, it, was, it was really hard. My biggest surprise was that when I got to Shur the first day, I'm sitting in the Shur and the rabbi starts talking in Yiddish. Like, what, what is that? First of all, what, that's not English, right? <laughs> that could decipher. It was not English. I'm like, what is that? And somebody told me, that's Yiddish. I'm like, I'm going to have to learn two languages now? All the shirim were in Yiddish. All the shirim were in Yiddish. So you picked that up too? I had to do both. <laughs> I literally sat down like, like a little student learning the key words to understand. Otherwise, I was going to waste my time, you know. Anyways, it was... was, was uh, was a lot of fun. But I became friends with the guy who worked in the office. You know, I'm a kind of a chaverman. So I, I uh, you know, one day he tells me, you know, wow, how did you pull that letter off? I'm like, what letter? What are you talking about? He said, we accepted you because you came with a letter of recommendation from Rav Yaakov Toledano. I'm like, listen to me. I never got a letter from Yaakov to, Rav Yaakov Toledano. He said, of course, why do you think you got in? You got a letter from Yaakov. I'm like, I was so excited. I was like, so nice. He ended up writing it. Like, I'm like, show me the, 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 the... So he goes to the file. He takes out the file and he shows me. And there's only one letter. You know who wrote the letter? The rabbi was teaching me. It's Chak Toledano. But he, he signed Yud Toledano. He didn't write Yaakov or Yitzhak. He wouldn't lie. He wrote Yud. His initial Yud Toledano with the head of the school. Mercada Torah. So they all thought it was Rav Yaakov Toledano who wrote the letter. Oh, wow. So they took me in. I'm like, I feel so embarrassed. I didn't say a word. When I went back in, to France for vacation, I went to my Magitri and said, did you write you Toledano on purpose? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I always sign Yitzhak Toledano. I showed him the copy. He said, I never signed my life you Toledano. He said, you think I would want to trick Yeshua? He's a big tzaddik. The guy's not a, he's not, you know, he wouldn't do that. Look what Minash If he wrote Yitzchak Toledana, I would have never ended up in Gateshead. And if I was not ending in Gateshead, I would have stayed in France to, in my medical school. I would not be sitting here today. For wow. that Yud Toledano, that's how I got into the issue of Gateshead. That's incredible. <laughs> when God wants something to happen, it's going to happen, my friend. Even if you use other people. <laughs> Look, this is crazy. I only discovered that two years later. And that's how I ended up in, uh, in Gateshead Yeshiva. Once I was in Gateshead Yeshiva, I was in that world, you know, like, that's it. You're the top yeshivas after that, that, that opens a lot of doors. So I decided, Ramatitia Usalomon, I became very close with him, and he said, I think you should go to America, not to, to Israel, whatever. These reasons, he said, uh, I think you should go to America. So I went to America. 
I ended up uh, first in the issue in Brooklyn, I didn't like, but then South Forsberg Yeshiva. South Forsberg in America, it's like, wow, you know, the Rosh Yeshiva there, Rav Eliaber Vachtvoigel is, is my rabbi till today. I have good connection with him till today. Like whenever I have a question for the Keila or whatever, I call him, I go visit him, etc. Even on personal things, thank God I became very, very close with him. And um, I ended up in that yeshiva, you know, it's, uh, it, it was an incredible experience. Incredible, really. So, so when, did, when did you meet your wife? Because then you went to Mexico, right? So, <coughs> well, no. So when I was I'm in just that, trying to get the story. Right, right, right. right. So I was, when I was in that yeshiva, in South Forsberg yeshiva, the way it works in America, in the more yeshiva circles, is that, you know, you're a few years in base matters in, in, in yeshiva, and then you go to Israel. So all the guys of my, uh, my age, more or less, were going to Brisk, of Avram Yeshua, like, this is the place. They go, okay, fine. So I put my name down, you know, with all the boys who were going, etc. And Rav Elieber, the Rosh Hashua, he crosses my name out. And, and another guy, two out of them, I think we're like 30, 40, I don't remember. He, he crosses two names out. Like, what? I was very close with him. So I went straight to him, I'm like, did the Rosh Hashiva cross my name out? He looks me in the eye and says, yeah. Because you're going to meet your wife and you're going to get married. Like, if anybody knows Rav Achtfeigel, he's like a little bit out there, up there. Like he's, uh, he says things and they just happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, this Ruach HaKodesh, unbelievable. I have tons of stories, but it's not about him today. So, but, uh, uh, you know, that's just one of them. He just told me, you're going to meet your wife. How much longer? That was like, that was like January um, of 2000. In February of 2000, oh. I met my wife. <laughs> Somebody set us up, right? She was coming from Mexico to New York. She had a grandmother in New York. She had cousins. So she would come often. And they, you know, the Shad Khan, who was the mashgiach of that yeshiva, uh, Rav, Rav uh, Goldschmidt, he happened to be in her house giving conferences like two months before. He saw her. He knew me. He said, you know what? I think it's a great shidduch, whatever. To make a long story short, I said, look, if she comes here, I'll meet her. But I'm not going to go to Mexico. Like, what's Mexico? She ended up being in New York. We met. It was February. Then Purim came. Rosh Hashiva was... Wait, did, did you speak Spanish then? Like zero. Nothing. What did you guys communicate in? Uh, broken English. <laughs> <laughs> it's better. Many times you don't understand what they're talking about. Just okay, well, whatever. <laughs> it was uh, so we spoke English. Like by then, I spoke pretty good English. Uh, she uh, less, but it was okay. And uh, so that's why I didn't go to Israel. I stayed there. We got married. We got married in Mexico in July of that year. Uh, but I thought I'm never going to go to Mexico. This is um, it's nice, but it's not for me. So we decided to live in Lakewood. That's why we lived in Lakewood two, two years, about two years. After that, I said, let's go to Mexico. <laughs> they have Kolel, they, they, they were paying like, you know, enough to be able to live comfortably, etc. So that's why we moved to Mexico. They're like about five years. Um, and we had a great, you know, Baruch Hashem. Lakewood was amazing and Mexico was amazing. And then I met somebody from this Keila here. So this Keila was a tiny little thing. It was just starting like... Uh, they used the uh, the place that used to be an older kila that was dying out and yeah that's how, a couple how many, guys how many were in side then uh, besides the shul okay so let's start from the beginning in 1967 way before you and I were even you know anyone was thinking about us um, uh, they um, there was this shul here uh, Ashkenaz shul a couple uh, the rabbi and and rabbis in Vine that just moved to Surfside there was nothing in Surfside it was a lot of uh, Holocaust survivors, older people that came to retire in Florida. That was the first shul of the neighborhood. It's exactly where we are today. And that's before the shul Baharba? Yeah, much before. Much before. It was 9348 Harding Avenue, the same place where we are. Obviously, it looked different, but it was half was like, the front was like the shul, a small room, and the back was the, where the rabbi and his uh, rabbits lived. And for years, they operated that place. I think the rabbi passed away young, and then that lady continued operating the shul, um, Ashkenaz. Then, years later, there was... Then, then other shuls started. I think the shul of Al-Aver started like 40 years ago, about approximately 40 years ago. So you're talking about almost 20 years later. Oh, wow. Right, so... Um, um, and then one day, a group of Sephardic guys decided that they wanted to do their own thing. 
And that's when Eli Cohen, who had purchased the house from that Rabbanit who passed away, said, guys, I have a, have a shul. <laughs> I have a shul for you. So they moved in there. They were barely minyan. Not every tefillah, they had minyan, etc. And that's when I met somebody called Mati Cohen. You probably know Matias Cohen. And he was in Mexico for his first Pesach trip, I think it was probably 2005, if I remember correctly. He was doing a trip in Puerto Vallarta, I think. And he happened to be in Mexico City, and he's second cousin of my wife. Like his mother and my father-in-law are first cousins, something like this, from Argentina. And just came to say hi, like, okay, there's a family member, we're going to go and say hi. And that's when he said something, I just, oh, would you come to Miami? I said, of course I would come to Miami, why not? And that's, that's basically how... What was a very, well, this was the first Sephardic Keila? Um, first independent, independent Sephardic Keila in the neighborhood, yeah. I think so, because um, there was a Sephardic minyan inside the Chabad the shul of, of, of Surfside, uh, of Rabbi Lipsker. But uh, then that group of people decided to... I don't know, I wasn't there, so I don't know yeah. the politics or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, when I came, it was, it was tiny, it was very small, and Baruch Hashem, slowly, slowly, and today, there are a lot of shuls here, of course, but yeah. uh, our shul is, is doing amazing, Baruch Hashem. And then you, you moved right after that, then when the guy brought up the idea, you were like, okay, no, I'm he, ready No, he to brought go. up the idea, I said, look, guy, I'm like, look, uh, you serious or not? Like, you know, I said, yeah, maybe you live in the back of the shul, I'm like, look, listen, come, just come see, you know, I said, look, I don't mind helping, but I'm not stupid. You know, I come come to my to my house. And so he came actually. He came. Uh, who else came? I think Yaakov Baghdadi came to Mexico, and Rabbi Zweig, Akiva Zweig came. I invited them to my house. They came to my house. They saw I had a beautiful apartment, three thousand square feet apartment, my own private elevator. I said, guys, I live a very good life here. And Baruch Hashem, by then I started having some offers from Keilot in Mexico, etc. I didn't mind starting a small thing to get some independence to know how to answer Shailot on my own, etc. Because in Mexico, I was in Kolel. I had my youth minyan, which was very matzliach. But you're still under someone else. Mm -hmm. I was a minyan inside a bigger place, etc. And I said, you know what? It's, it's worth trying on your own. I never answered Shailot on my own. So it was great to, to come and have the experience. I said, I'm going to be here a year or two. And then I go back to Mexico to some you know, bigger place, etc. With some, with some experience. That was really the, the, so the whole... Very much temporary. But I said, guys, I'm not so going to come. Yeah, that, the idea was the year two max. Uh, when, 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 but I still said, like, I'm not coming to suffer. I'm not going to live like a uh, little chazit. I'm not going to do that. So they came to my house. They saw the lifestyle I had. Baruch Hashem was very, very comfortable. Said, guys, if you could match this, then I'll come. If you can't, then forget about it. So they, they, good for them. They went. They came back. They did the homework. They came up with a package. I said, okay. I'll, 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 let's come for a year. My wife was like, hey, come on. Said, let's come for a year. Come on. Miami, a year. It sounds like, uh, you know, and that's, uh, we're still here. I'm still trying to go. No, I'm not. <laughs> Wait, you almost, <laughs> almost let to New York. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> a big mistake and happening again. Well, you want to freeze half the year. Oh, thank you. Uh? I said, if you want to freeze half the year, <laughs> still go back. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, I'm very happy where I am. Baruch Hashem. We built a beautiful keila and Amazing people, really, uh, including you yeah, and your brother and you. all the new uh, wave of people. Incredible. So I'm here to stay. Next step is Israel. Next step is that's, we'll that's to Israel. That's everyone. I mean, is America's our last stop, I think. That's, I think that's what Chaim said. It no, could smells be wrong, very bad in America these days. I don't know. The whole Europe is done. Everyone's moving here. Europe is over. And America is... Look, is I've seen stop, how no? Europe did. It's the last stop. It's, it's happening here. It's just it's almost like the same formula. You know the left, the social, the socialists. This whole thing taking—it's just it's a repetition of the same formula. So, yeah. whenever God wants, He'll write you Toledano, and we move wherever He says. You know. <laughs> so, so on that note, I wanted to get get into Tisha B'Av because we're going to be releasing it then, Zlat Hashem. Today's a Tuesday, and hopefully we'll we'll get it out Thursday or even Wednesday night. And, um, like what what should we be focusing on? Because we're so, you know, to give an example, like if someone were to, God forbid, lose his cell phone, right? He has his contacts on there. He has his WhatsApp. He has, if someone loses their cell phone and they have to go find it, buy a new one and they go to the iCloud. And I'm bringing a random example for a, for a point is 
it just seems like the biggest headache and, and they would, you know, lose their phone and they're like, oh my God, it's like, it's like the end of the world. You ever see someone lose their phone? That's their business on their phone, their contacts, their whole life is on that phone. And they like, they're literally like depressed and they have to go pick it up the next day and they have to go figure out an Apple store. And it's like a whole thing. And, and like, some, like when it comes to Tisha B'Av, I'm speaking for myself, but a lot of people also, it's like, for me, it's like, I, I wish I had that sensitivity, but it's almost like another day, like, oh, another holiday almost. Not to I, call it a holiday, but you know, like, so... You said it perfectly. Um, I think anybody who denies that question is either blind or is a malach. There's just no way to connect with the Beit HaMikdash when we don't know what it is. It's just too far. 2,000 years, you could just picture a little bit what life looked like. So first of all, it's not going to be about the Beit HaMikdash itself. I mean, you see pictures, you see the Kotel, okay, whatever, there's something there, okay, but what is it exactly? So I totally agree with your question um, i appreciate again the straightforwardness you know what's going on here you know it's nothing that i connect with and i understand it and if i didn't have an answer i would say you know what i don't know we just do because uh, it is what it is but i think there are bits and pieces we could we could again as an introduction i don't think the focus should be so much so much on the actual life with the beta mikdash because we don't know what it is the Beit HaMikdash itself, if you think about it, the function of the Beit HaMikdash itself, it really doesn't talk to us. I mean, do you see yourself bringing an animal to the Beit HaMikdash? Oh, let's uh, bring a korban, you know. Oh, my God. We don't have any connex- connection with animals other than having them on our plates when we go to Harbor Grill. It makes, like, how do you connect with the Beit HaMikdash? It's very hard and it's sad what I'm saying. In a sense, you know, no, it's like, chaval, it is what truthful. it is. But it is yeah. what it is, exactly. You've got to be honest in order to understand something. So I think what we have to focus on is what are we missing? What, what did that bring? Because maybe from knowing what we don't have, maybe we could understand better where the pain come from. And there are many, many different platforms that we could analyze. So I'm going to start actually with something positive. I, this, this is a very interesting halakha on Tisha B'Av. And that is that it's definitely in our calendar the saddest day of the year. Now, if it's the saddest day of the year, and it's the day of the Churban Metamikdash, etc., etc., then it would be the last day to not say Tachanun. Every day we say Tachanun, right? Sorry about this, sorry about that. Okay, beautiful, it's very nice. Why on Tisha B'Av we don't say Tachanun? So the answer that the Chachamim give is because it calls it a Moed. It calls it a holiday. Okay, what kind of a holiday is that? You're sitting on the floor and you're crying about Metamikdash. No, oh, no, it's not a holiday today. It's going to be a holiday when God will rebuild the third Beit HaMikdash and Mashiach will come. Okay, great. But now the question is, so now we should do Tachanun and when the Beit HaMikdash will be rebuilt, then we'll stop saying Tachanun. We don't have to stop saying Tachanun from now because God is going to rebuild the Beit HaMikdash later. It makes no sense. So again, why don't we say Tachanun? So I came up with, the, with this idea. Really, I was thinking about this and I said, really, the bigger problem of... of of the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, if you think about it, if you put yourself in the shoes of the people of the time, and let's think about one person in particular, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. He was the Gadol Ador of the generation. It happened on his watch. Beit HaMikdash is going to get destroyed. Okay, what's the problem now? Beit HaMikdash is more than just an edifice. It's more than just the Avodah that was done through that. It's much more than that. It's also a political place. It's also the capital of the Jews. It's also the exile that came with this. How do I know, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakai would ask himself the question, how do I know that these people, my people, are going to survive? Not as a person now, this generation. How do I know that in 100 years they're going to be here? When you have a capital, when you have a place of worship, when you have a central place that all Jews come for shalosh regalim, etc., it binds people together. It bonds them to their religion, to their, their heritage. But now, they're exiled in the four corners of the world. They're going to go gone. Goodbye. Nobody is staying in Israel. Very few people are staying in Israel. People are going to be away. No edifice, nothing that could put them together. So something genius happened, actually. That he became friends with Vespasian. Vespasian tells him, I, I, I would like to grant you three wishes. So two of the wishes. He, the third wish, he, he tells him, just protect that city called Yavne v'Chachamea. The city of Yavne, he had already told the Chachamim to move to a place called Yavne in Israel. He said, just protect that place. Everyone asked the question, why didn't he ask Vespasian to spare the Bet HaMikdash? The answer is the following. Bet HaMikdash 
must have had an essential part, of course, for sure, no question. But the more essential part was, how do I do to guarantee that the Jews are going to survive anything? How do I guarantee that 2,000 years later, we're still going to be here talking about it? How do I do that? I need something that is portable, something that is not bound to one place. And what is that? The Torah. So he wanted to protect the Chachamim and the teachings of the Torah. They're going to teach the Mishnayot and the Gemarot, etc. And that's exactly what happened. So now he found kind of the survival, still not knowing if it was going to happen. But at least in the plan, he understood that Betamikdash was very important, but not as important as the Torah itself. And if we could save that Torah, that should be the essential part of our lives, then we're going to take it wherever we go. And that's exactly what happened. Ups and downs, I'm saying some people we lost on the way, etc. I understand. But we're still here. Yeah, we all, have the same all Torah. All over the world. <laughs> we're all over the world. Without this Torah, we'll be gone. You know, the Mayas didn't survive, and the, the Egyptians of, of ancient Egypt didn't uh, survive. The Romans and the Greeks, they're all gone. But we're here because we have this Torah, we take it everywhere. So he was smart and he, and he did that. But imagine, the, you know, a year or two after the Khurban Betamigdash, like, okay, we're still here, but what's going to happen with our children, our grandchildren? 100 years later, we're still around, okay, etc. 200 years later, 300 years later, 500 years later, we're still here. Oh, wow. Don't you see a little bit of, of oh, okay. I'm sad because what happened happened, but I'm happy that we found a formula that is going to save this nation. Because if 500 years later, you're still, you're still booming in other places, in Bavel or wherever the Jews went, that's, that's kind of good news. Now, fast forward a thousand years, 1,500 years later, we're still in business. It's like the best company in the world, you know. Uh, Abercrombie and Fitch, uh, since, I don't remember the number, uh, they, they'll advertise. The older it is, and they were like, this, this is a company that's been in business forever. The Jews have been in business for 2,000 years out of their place. Out of their place. And they're still booming like never before. Aren't you happy about that? So I may have lost something, but on the other side, I found the, the secret formula of the survival and the booming of the Jewish people. And every year that passes, should be more happy. Because 2,000 years, 2,001 years, 2,002 years, the more time goes, the more like, wow, this formula really works. Instead of going backwards, we're going forward. And so at that moment, when I thought about this, I'm like, so, so Tisha B'Av is, is like both a, a sad day, but also a happy day. It's sad on two fronts. One, we lost the Betamikdash. Two, we don't even know what we lost. That's also sad, you know, because we're so remote from that. On the other side, we found a formula that works. And that formula that works is us. We're here. We're in business. So for me, it's not, we don't say Tachanun because later Mashiach will come. No, no, we don't say Tachanun because we're here. Because being here is a testimony to the victory of the Churban Betamidash, in a sense. Someone's like, we lost the, the Betamidash, but we discovered that our true connection to Hashem is, is through this Torah between him and I, and I don't have to be bound to a place. So we may have lost something there, and we don't really know what it is, but we gain so much more, you know, without having the Betamidash, by knowing our true connection. And that's kind of a celebration. So it's a mixed feeling on Tisha B'Av. You're sad, so you're sitting on the floor, but you're happy because you are here. And this formula is like, it's unbeatable because if you made 2,000 years and with all the trials and all the pogroms, all the you know, very sad things that happened to the Jewish people, we're still here, nothing could beat us. And, and that's the sur formula. Surside of all places. Surside. <laughs> so, and that was discovered by Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakai within the days of Tisha B'Av, in that period of time when he decided, you know what, let's save the Torah. That's really the only way we could go forward. So it's sad and happy at the same time. Now, we didn't explain the sad part, right? I mean, it could have been a disaster. It should have been a disaster. It should have been the end of the Jewish people already. But, so we celebrate that. For me, it's, 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 it's I love Tisha B'Av for that. I mean, really, I'm, I'm not kidding you. It's probably one of the highest celebrations of the year. Really celebrating the fact that we are here. Without the Betamikdash, so when we cry for the Betamikdash, at the same time we have a smile, we can't say Tachanun, it's like a Yom Tov. We're happy we're here, and, and, and we found the, the, the secret formula. So it begs even more the question, so what is exactly that we lost with the Betamikdash? It's unclear, as I said before, and your question was perfect. We, we don't know what it is. We, it's very hard to connect to that. 
what we do know in more Kabbalistic terms is, is Gilui Shekhinah, so the, the, the openness, if you want, of the presence of Hashem. Clarity. We're missing clarity. So I want to say something on this. Uh, there was once a rabbi in Mexico, actually, I think his name is Rabbi Avram Shabbat, and he said something very smart. He said, you know, many times people do teshuvah when they are on the way down or they're the, the enjoying life, etc. It's not, it's not in the direction of the Torah, and they do teshuvah. This is very hard to do because while they're having fun, etc., but then there's, there's, there's another one. It's like when you hit like rock bottom, you had too much fun almost. Like it becomes like toxic. It's disgusting already. You know, and too many Averot, it's disgusting. We live in a world today that's disgusting. Mamash, even in the Senate, they spend so much money discussing what is a woman, what is a man, what is the. Oh, I mean, it's just, it gets to a point, it's so ridiculous, like, even, like, it's just ugly, it's just disgusting that even normal people, even Goyim, who are a little bit more, like, centered, they're like, what is happening to our nation? They have so much, I, I said the other day, in the poor, poor, poor nations, I want to know how many trends there are. Go to Ethiopia, to Congo, I want to see how many trends there are. Zero! Why? No, I feel like a woman. No, you don't feel like it. Why? Because there's no time for Shtuyot. They're busy with Because they're busy trying to survive. Nobody's going to feel one way or another. Shtuyot. Here, there's too much time and too much money on their hands. So they, they, they have nothing to do. They're going crazy. And when he's thinking, when he's that, 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 that. We're just hitting a point in our society that is so disgusting. It's almost like, almost clear. Like, this is not it. That, that's not the emet. That's not the truth. This is disgusting. When there's so much darkness, you almost beg for seeing the light. It's so dark that now people just want to go back to normal things. Let me have a normal family with normal... I mean, people are more conservative, etc. Like, it's too much already. Too much. Gilui Shechina is like almost begging for... Bring the light again. Bring the, bring the clarity to the people. So many people are so lost. Like, on Shtuyot, like, literally. It's like Saddam. Oh, it's just, like, too much. And Gilui Shekhinah wouldn't let you do that. The Shekhinah would be in place. That's, according to the Kabbalah, God's presence in the world is more ephemeris. There's a word like this in English. I'm sure you're more, like, attuned to it, maybe. It's more felt. You know, when God's presence was more here, so there's more clarity, things are more clear. Nothing that's so dark. You have people going all over the place. There's no more direction. Any, any. Talk about love. Talk about any definition you want, and nobody has a definition because people are so lost. Unless you're in the Torah, so you have your own Gilu Shekhinah. The world needs that light. It's so dark that everybody would be like, we need that light. We need, we need that clarity. For me, that's also an aspect of the Beit HaMikdash. The place of Shekhinah, the place of the light, the light of clarity in life is also missing. Just for that, it's worth, you know, the Beit HaMikdash is already that place that would bring the clarity to the people. You go there, you see something that you never saw before. So again, we never saw it, but we know that's how it's described. So that aspect of it is definitely something that I would have loved to have in my days, you know, having something clear to everyone. There's no discussion on shtuyot. For me, this is this is like today we're living the the the, the loss of the of the shechina, the loss of the clarity, the loss of the betamigdash. It's also an aspect that that is not. So you understand? It's not about you know bringing the animals to betamigdash and all that aspect, the more like technical part of the betamigdash. It's also what it brought. It could also have brought a lot of unity between the people. You know, having a place where we all celebrate all the Chagim together, this kind of, of glue between the people. There's so much division between the Jews that, you know, on, on so many levels, that it's really sad, but it is what it is, you know. That's like something that would bring us together. I feel that these are points that really, on that we have to cry. Mm-hmm. Not so much on the edifice, on the... Because we don't even know what it is. We could try, but it's not really what speaks to us. It's more the problems that we're experiencing today in the Jewish community and in the world in general, I feel that the Bet HaMikdash really had a solution to that. As, as a Bet HaMikdash, as the presence of Hashem in the world, the clarity of these things, the unity between the people. You know, the Jews, there's so many machloktot between the people, ridiculous things. 
And the Beit HaMikdash, again, bringing that clarity and this bonding together, I think is, that's really something we should be sad about. And do things about it, you know, try to like, be if so you much can, If you can tell people to focus on, on one thing, on one thing is Tisha B'Av, what would it be? Uh, I, I mean, I, there's I, a million things. It's like a hard question. Right, 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 right. Look, what, what's something you would recommend? So there's one thing that, that of course, comes back from the Chachaim. They say, when we lost the Bet HaMikdash, we lost the Bet HaMikdash because of Sinat Chinam, baseless hatred. So I discussed, actually, in my shul, a beautiful Torah that I shared with, the, with my Kehila on what is exactly this baseless hatred. No hatred is baseless. If you hate somebody, it's because of a reason, something. You got, it doesn't exist. So I explained something very interesting is, is that the first time there was a Tisha B'Av was actually with the Meraglim, with the spies. And, and um, over there, the, the Gemara says, You cried a baseless tears because you come back from Israel with a very negative report. That was the first night of Tisha B'Av. God says, you know what? You're going to cry on that night forever. And I picked up on the words, chinam, chinam, you know, sinat chinam and bichiyash el chinam. Baseless, both. What, what is the, you know, the connection between these things? I think there's something very, very important that we could work on. Because we have differences with people. There's some people we like, some people we don't like. Okay, fine. How does it work? Where's the, the, the baseless hatred that we should work on? How could we bring the unity between the people? So something important. These Miragelim coming back to this story. They go to Israel. They see the place. Like any place in the world, you have ups and downs. You have good things and bad things. You have, uh, fine. Now, each one decided to focus on whatever they, they, they saw and they decided it was uh, the more prevalent point for them. 10 out of 12 decided to focus on the negative and 2 out of, out of 12 decided to focus on the positive. What is the difference between the two? The difference between the two is really looking at the big, big picture with one detail. In any relationships like this, in any place, I could come to your house, I could come to your office, I could come to and, and start saying, oh, well, I don't like this, I don't like that, you know what, I'm out. I could say, you know what, the place is gorgeous. Okay, it could have been better here. The corner is not well done and the floor is not straight. You know, it's, 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 it's perspective. I could see both. I could decide to focus only on one minute thing that I don't like or to look at the whole picture and I say, you know what, it's a beautiful place. The location is amazing. The, the lighting is good, etc. Okay, I would have done things differently. So it's a 98. Fine, it's good. Bichyash al what Hashem is saying to them is like, look, we had a whole plan. I'm taking you out of, out of Egypt. I'm going to give you a land. The land Is the land perfect? Of course not. There's no such thing as land perfect. You're going to have to make it as close to perfect, perfection as possible. That's your job. You could decide to focus on the small things or to focus on the entire picture. If you're an adult, if you're a mature person, you look at the whole thing and you analyze like a business plan. There's no business that is going to give you 75% return every year and it's going to work on, on, on... It doesn't exist. So you have to look at the whole picture, the risks that you're taking, the ups, the downs, the positive, the negative, everything together and you make a decision. That's a mature decision. The immature decision is going to be on either way, by the way. Oh my God, I'm going to have such a good return. Okay, I'm in. You have to look at the whole thing, look at the risks, look at everything. Oh no, here it says that it's not going to be possible. Okay, I'm out. Oh, tranquilo, take it, take it easy, man. You know, take, analyze the whole thing. Chinam, in this case, means you focused on all these guys at all, all these fruits are big, you know, it's not for us, I'm out. That's chinam. Chinam means you didn't take the, 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 the responsibility almost, you didn't take the chance of looking at the entire picture and make a mature decision. If you would have taken everything in consideration, and you tell me it's not for me, okay, maybe it would have been different. Would be bichia, not shel chinam. Chinam is this immature way of looking at one point. In our relationships, usually that's the problem. You have a friend, you've been friends forever. Pitam is one thing this person does, you don't like it. Many times, that's the end of the friendship. Why is that the end of the friendship? There's 96 things that bind you together. There's four points that I don't like. Why is that the end? If you just focus on these four things, that's chinam. That's sinat chinam. It's, it's a baseless hatred because you're hating the person because of four points when there are another 90 points that are good. That's not right. You're not judging the person correctly. If you're judging the person correctly, you take the 100 points, you look at all of them and you say, you know what? 
Yes or no? But at least give the, the, the benefit of the doubt. The person look at everything, the whole picture. Don't judge a person on the few little things and you say, that's it, Hajj, it's not for me. That's not, that's chinam. That's sinat chinam. It's exactly like the miragelim. They picked a couple points and you know what? Because the fruits are big and these guys are big and we are terrified, therefore we're out. Oh, you thought it was going to be a, like easy ride on Gan Eden? It's going to take time, but don't look at the few details that you don't like. Look at the whole picture, everything. Same thing with our relationship with people. Why do we focus on one thing? As a rabbi, let me tell you, you should have asked me a much better question. <laughs> you should have asked me, what is the best part of your job and what's the worst part of your job? One of the worst parts of the job is that people are super judgmental once you get, you're a public figure, so people are judging you constantly. Oh, there's one thing you said that a person didn't like. They could slam the door on your face and leave. And guess what? They should. Because if they're not happy, goodbye. But it's not... Correct. Not because it's not derecheretz. I'm saying it's chinam. It's called sinat chinam. The rabbi did this and this and this and this for you and things you don't even know and because of one thing you didn't like or you decided whatever, it didn't work the way you thought, that's it. It's pasul, goodbye. That's sinat chinam. It's not only with rabbis. It's a side point. Mm-hmm. Same thing in all our relationships. Why is it many times in, 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 in couples, divorce comes so easily because of that also. Not always, I'm not saying, every case is different, but many times, no, no, because this doesn't work. But look at the whole thing. The Gemara says, look how much you have to have to your wife for things that we don't even think about. But basics are so much more important than the details many times. We focus so much on those few things that we don't like that we forget everything else. Haram, this is terrible. For me, that's one of the most important things we have to do. The only way to unite each other is really by focusing on the whole thing, not just the few things that make us different or the few things that we don't like. Focus on the whole thing of the person. And then you judge uh, the person better to judge less, but if you judge already, you judge with maturity. You're looking at the whole thing. When you have the whole thing, that against, it goes against sinat chinam. At least it will be sinat, not chinam. You know, if you decided to hate the guy, but not chinam, it's not chinam. It's a sinah that uh, is based on something. Okay, I looked at the whole thing. Chinam is not good. So we need to be much less judgmental in general between each other and the way people look, the way people talk. The way people, there's so much. Every time you, you many times, not every time, many times you start talking to somebody that you didn't have anything with, and you start talking to them, you see how interesting they are. They are and there's so many beautiful things about people. Just because we didn't know those things of the person, therefore we had a pre, um, you know, conceived uh, uh, idea, uh, 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 notion on the person. But we didn't know anything about them. So it's chinam. It's baseless. It's, it's not a mature, uh, you know, connection that you could judge. And that, for me, is probably the, the thing we need to work on. Well, thank you so much for clarifying. And we definitely have to do a part two, like... <laughs> <laughs> in the future you it seems like you could have went on for another few hours but i'm sure you yeah. have a busy schedule and you gotta go um but thank you so much for coming on thank really, you really really amazing it. and um Keep hopefully the good yeah, work. get this out for everyone thursday and thank you so much for coming on my pleasure anytime thank you guys so much for listening um it really means a lot if you enjoyed this episode it would mean the world if you'd share it to someone share it to a friend share it to someone might might find value in it and if you haven't already please leave a five-star review on spotify i hope you enjoy this episode and thank you so much have a great day